0: Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Moving into the Future. Today, I am joined by Molly D. Ramasamy, who's the director of deep carbon reduction at JB&B Engineering. And today we are at the JB&B Engineering office. So this is quite special. It's climate week in New York. There's a lot going on. Quite a, uh, you know, quite a topical discussion. So Molly, thanks for joining us.
1: Thanks for having me. Looking forward to the discussion today.
0: Yeah. And we were just talking about it too. You know, the director of deep carbon reduction. I'm sure that wasn't a term that you heard very often five years ago, right?
1: It was not. In fact, uh, shortly after we started our deep carbon reduction group and I started doing this job, people would routinely say to me, what is deep carbon reduction? And now it's all over the industry. It's caught on. It's definitely a thing. So yeah.
0: Right. And see, that's the, uh, you know, funny part of, of what you do, because you've been you've been in the construction industry for, you know, over 10 years or so. Mm-hmm. But really, you've had this role for the last five years. And uh, within the last five years as a society, we've seen such a push for, you know, uh, energy efficiency and carbon reduction. Uh, you know, since you've had a focus in the field, what has been the most you know profound change you've seen and, in, in, uh, you know, as a professional And an expert?
1: That's a great question. Um, You know, I think in the last five years, the really big shift has been in the focus on carbon versus what we used to measure building performance by pretty consistently and still do in some ways, which is energy use intensity. So that's the amount of energy a building uses per square foot. And that was how it was for a long time, and that worked really well. People you know, were looking at their energy efficiency through that lens of EUI, and now uh, there's been a big shift, and that shift is now specifically on carbon right? and a building's contribution in terms of carbon emissions, greenhouse gas emissions, and, and the built environment in general.
0: Right, and and we've already started to see it in New York City with some of the transitions and the new buildings that are coming up. I mean, mm-hmm. some of the new buildings... And I know you guys are working on them. They're going to be really, really impressive with how energy efficient they are. And the the LEED certification uh, was always the kind of the the, the measure of, of green success. But now with you know local law ninety seven and, and and just more so the um, public awareness around you know energy efficiency and things of that nature, um, it's going to be really impressive what we see, yeah. and. When we talk about, uh, like, EUI and and carbon reduction and stuff like that, what was the standard before? I mean, everything was essentially running on oil and gas and and, and that sort of thing, correct?
1: Yeah, so the big shift, you know, in, in the new types of buildings that are being built now, specifically with this eye on decarbonization, they're largely electrified. Right. And what we're talking about when we say electrification is we're talking about heating systems, primarily moving over from those fuels you mentioned before, natural gas, fuel oil, which was the standard for many, many years because those were less expensive fuel types. Right. Natural gas is still less expensive than electricity. And so for a long time, that's what we were using for our heating systems. But now as we're moving towards a decarbonized future, we don't want to be combusting those fossil fuels on site. Right. Right. And so we want to transition those heating systems from natural gas and fuel oil over to clean electricity, and that that's the key, right? And that's a really big shift um, in how the industry has really thought about heating systems, about energy and energy efficiency. Now it's not just about how little energy you're using or how well you're using energy, right? That would be your energy efficiency piece. Um, it's also about how well you're recovering energy and how well... You are using your equipment and systems to get off of those fossil fuel resources.
0: Exactly, and that's like that's a that's kind of how I understand it too. Is when you look at a, like an office space as a whole. So we're we're in the JB and B office, and obviously, I'm sure you guys are very efficient. But like back in the day, if there was nobody sitting in this conference room, the lights would still be on. Now we've gotten to a point. Um, largely lighting systems are automatic so they're 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 based on movement and if somebody comes into the room the lights turn on when they leave after 5 minutes they'll turn off that sort of thing right you know same goes for HVAC systems and heating and you know or cooling for that matter if somebody's not in the office it'll be kept at a very standard like 75 degrees or something like that or maybe even higher and then you know once people come in even sections can be set at certain uh, temperatures, you know, based on the, the, the office and, and what people prefer, is that more of the use of like clean energy or, or energy efficiency, right? And, yeah. th- and then therefore, so when you have to start cooling these systems or heating these systems with electricity over carbon, uh, you know, use whatever, it's oil or gas or something like that, mm-hmm. it can still, the, the, the necessary output to make it operational, even though that might be more, it's still reduced in other areas that allow for that to, to, to operate efficiently. Is that, like, correct in my assumption?
1: Yeah, so so energy efficiency is the cornerstone of decarbonization. and So you start there, right, and you reduce your energy as much as you can through the things you mentioned, right? Lighting controls, high-efficiency equipment. Uh, other things that would count as energy efficiency would be set points and setbacks, right? You were saying, hey, if people aren't in the building, maybe we increase our set points so that we're not over Cooling or overheating them or an empty space. So those are all energy efficiency items that are like the very first thing you have to do. And that reduces your load, right? And then when you have a reduced load, it's much easier to transition them off of something that's fossil fuel based like natural gas to electricity. You can do it. You can go straight from what you have today right to electrified but it's super expensive and it takes up a lot of space and it just makes a lot more sense to start with that energy efficiency and that heat recovery first, get those loads down, and then you think about how to electrify. And that's the approach that, that new buildings are absolutely taking, right? They're pulling out all the steps on the energy efficiency, but then they're going those extra two steps to look at recovered energy, right? Why are we throwing the energy away? Once we used it, let's reuse it and reuse it and reuse it as much as we can, How do do they
0: do that though? How do they reuse it? What does that mean?
1: Yeah, great question. So, on the, it's a little technical, but on the water side, right within a building, you know, maybe you have a water side system, it's called a chiller plant, and that chiller's providing chilled water for cooling, right? Cooling is just extracting heat and moving it. Right. Now, historically, you would take that heat and you would throw it out of the building through the condenser water loop and the cooling towers. And if you go and you look at the rooftops, you can see in a lot of large buildings. yeah
0: all over you New York cooling
1: towers you have you know sometimes in the winter you can see the plumes right, right. the plumes are all of that energy all of that heat that's been extracted and is being thrown away you know we're, we're getting more and more innovative about reusing recapturing and reusing that energy and using it for heating right why throw the heat away when you can redistribute it to a different part of the building that might need it it's it's really obvious when you say it when you're like oh yeah of course we would do that right but up until recently that hasn't been the norm.
0: Exactly. And yeah. that's, you know, and that's part of this whole evolution that we're going through, right? Because again, we were talking about it before where during the digital age and early on in the digital age and and you know we around mass production and even though that was in like the early 1900s, but a lot of that revolved around coal, oil, and gas. Mm-hmm. And, you know, the steam engine and, you know, transporting goods I'm in that world and I want to talk about that later in terms of, you know, transporting goods and trucking and just the amount of fossil fuels that we were using in order to sustain this new lifestyle of ours, um, you know, became just overabundant. And then we saw pretty much in the last 40 years and more so uh, analyzed in the last 20 years, really what we were doing to the environment um, and just it's not sustainable. Yep. You know, the, the way that we were doing things weren't sustainable. So now what we've done as we're really transitioning into this digital age, and this is why this conversation is topical, hence the name of the podcast, Moving Into the Future. Mm-hmm. Um, but as we're really taking that shift into the next digital age, we're looking for creative solutions to become more energy efficient. And that's, a, that's just a simple example of one where we have the technology in order to analyze how buildings are functioning um, and then from there, we can take that data and find ways to become more energy efficient. One of the things you mentioned, too, was cost. And I think that's, that's you know, when, when a lot of people are playing devil's advocate towards these things, they say, you know, how much is this going to cost me? You know, how, how much higher is my energy bill going to be month over month? Um, when you're consulting clients on that sort of thing, yep. how are you breaking it down for them so that it's... It's easy for them to understand, A, they have to be at a certain level or else they're going to be penalized. But B, it's not, it doesn't need to be this way. Here's how we can make it where it's, it's reasonably affordable or you know, within, a, within a fair budget. Are you able to do that for clients?
1: Yeah, I mean, there's, there's always sort of an upfront conversation that there is a premium right, to go to a fully electrified building, it is more expensive. And and the fact of the matter is that's because the the cost of uh, fossil fuel, natural gas, for example, doesn't include, you know, the cost that would include all the externalities, negative externalities that that fossil fuel has on society, right? It's just really cheap and kind of unfairly inexpensive, in fact. And so when you're comparing a natural gas system to an electrified system, there's going to be a price premium. But uh, what you get in return right, has a lot to do with health and wellness, has a lot to do with perception in the Mm -hmm. industry, right? Uh, ESG has been a really important movement in this last year or two. And people who are going to be going into buildings are asking building owners, what is your environmental outlook? What are your commitments? What are you doing for health and wellness within the building? And so this has really become pretty critical to having a set of real estate assets that's desirable to the market. Right. And so I think while there is a cost premium on the utility side and, and likely will be for the foreseeable future, you get value out of making that change, especially because we're still in the point now where, where the people who are doing this on a large scale are early adopters. It's right, exactly. really the first out exactly. there. And they're able to say that kind of stuff like we're the first fully electrified new commercial building. Um, and that means something yeah. to, to people in the
0: market. It certainly does. And um, again, when you talk about that health and wellness aspect, that's a big part of it too. But one of the things I'm interested in too is, is the technology aspect of it all and how are you studying those fully electrified buildings and see, again, as early adapters and, and when you're doing something new, like this is, again, the same thing for uh, solar and wind. Mm-hmm. Like it's expensive right now because a huge adjustment from the fossil fuel industry where things were done cheap and, and, I, and I see why, you know, that is. But when you, when you implement technology that can then study the way these buildings operate and, and whether it's through a building management system or some other uh, you know, energy-related software, I don't know. Um, are you implementing or do you already use any type of technology that helps you study a building, whether you're going in for the first time and analyzing their energy output or carbon output uh, that, that you can then take the data from to create uh, viable solutions in order to fix it?
1: Yeah, absolutely. That's a really good question. I have a couple different things I want to say about that. So in terms of how we evaluate buildings um, and how we study them and understand them, especially in the existing condition, not necessarily a new building, although we, we energy model, which I'll talk about for a second, in new buildings as well. In existing buildings, we can also build energy models, which are basically digital replicas of these buildings. And we can compare the real utility data to the utility data coming out of the model, which has all the systems and the geometry built into it, and we can calibrate, which means we could make that virtual building function almost exactly like that real building operates, right? And what that provides for us is a test bed to study solutions, as you say, different technologies, different ways of doing heat recovery, and to understand what that's going to mean for the building in terms of energy, carbon, and cost. We can take the outputs of that energy model, and we could say, okay, it's going to equate to this much you know, energy savings per year, this much carbon reduction, and this many dollars in savings per year. So that, that is definitely sort of foundational to understanding what's going on. There's also a lot to say about the technology in terms of the solutions, right? You probably have heard a lot right now about air source heat pumps. Every time I, I feel yeah. like I open the New York Times, there's a new article about air source heat pumps and how they're great and how they've been around forever, Um, and, and that's a a perfect example of some of the exciting, I'll, I'll say new in quotes because heat pumps have been around for a long time, right? But they're having this resurgence and they are being reconfigured and sort of reworked in a way to fit the new market needs in places that are pretty tough, like New York, right? Where we have really cold weather and we don't have that much space. So there's, there's new technology, climate tech, uh, in general, is, is a real area of focus and investment right now. Yeah. There's been this huge, yeah. huge increase in investment in climate tech over the past couple of years. And to your kind of a, original question about energy management systems or building management systems, optimizations, there's plenty of, of prop tech or software-based mm-hmm. um, optimization tools and softwares that are we're seeing pop up on the market. In fact, there are so many of them, sometimes it's hard to know as a building owner where to start. Um, but I think you're touching on something That is really important, this intersection between cost and technology. And I want to take a second, just because it's so opportune, to kind of talk about this initiative that I'm involved in um, with a number of, of really influential real estate folks. We've got Thought Advisors and Rocky Mountain Institute and Institute of Market Transformation. We have some academic institutions that are participating. You know, this initiative is called Benchmark 8760, and it is specifically about you know, looking at how buildings measure their performance and what the different data streams should be that go into determining it because it's not just EUI anymore. That That's mm-hmm. kind of how things have been done in the past. But now we need to look at energy use intensity. We need to look at occupancy, to your point before, right, about, you know, buildings not heating and cooling empty spaces. We need to look at grid intensity, right, so how much carbon is being produced by the electricity grid at any given point in time. And we need to look at weather, right? What are the weather conditions that are happening in a per- particular area that's driving the way that buildings operate? And so now we start seeing more of a need for data, more of a need for tools that actually capture that data and assess it in a way that you know, incentivizes building owners to, to do things a little bit differently than they have before. So I'll kind of leave that thought there, but um, I think you're, you're getting at something really important because if we don't manage that stuff, if we don't get smarter about how we build, but also operate buildings, that's where the cost comes from exactly right exactly. yes that's where the and, and cost see, comes from. and
0: that's where we can end up reducing costs because the big concern is is like affordability for you know like poor people and stuff like that you know Absolutely. That, that's yeah. where this it comes down to those are the ones who are going to end up suffering and like nobody wants that you know right. we're 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 trying to to fix these things so that's why you know benchmark 8760, you said it was? It, it, yep, yeah. exactly.
1: Benchmark 8760. We have a website. Anybody who's listening can check it out.
0: Yeah, that's really cool because that's the type of initiatives that are really necessary in order to strive for clean, cheap, clean energy is like yeah. the ultimate motive. Yeah, exactly. Um, and, and you brought up something really important there, which is the weather. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, again, obviously weather throughout the world is, is different in all parts of the world and stuff like that, but specific to New York, how is that going to affect, like, everything? Like, I mean, because obviously the weather affects us when it's hot, we want air conditioning. When it's cold, we want heat yeah. internally. But as far as the grid as a whole and, like, the, um, like it producing the energy, mm-hmm. how, how is that going to work? Do you know about that at all? Like, are you, are you, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah Can yeah, you explain absolutely. that?
1: Yeah, so, I mean, it sounds like what you're asking is.
0: With, like, wind and solar. Yeah. Right.
1: So we're going to transition, you know, all these sectors, not just buildings, but, you know, in theory, transportation and waste and all the, all this stuff is going to go electrified. How do we make sure the grid can actually support all of that additional demand right. and load on the grid? Right. Yeah, it's a great question. And that's a question that people ask all the time. Um, you know, and it's a complicated sort of answer, but I'm going to I'll try to do a quick overview here, which
0: you say it and I'll try to summarize okay. it in a way right. that I understand it
1: that's a good good idea. So, I mean, I think from the generation component, right, the way that electricity is generated in New York, there's some really strong policy requirements and market signals that are being put in place that are encouraging power producers to produce power with renewable resources. And those renewable resources would be things like solar and wind and hydro and, um, the, those And we're in a
0: deregulated market, so we have various power producers that pr- produce power right. for Con Edison. Yeah, exactly,
1: yeah. exactly. So, so here in this state, deregulated market, which means that power producers compete on the market to sell their electricity. And uh, we have this organization, it's a nonprofit called the New York Independent System Operator that manages all that, right? Um, and so... All of that's happening on the generation side. The policy drivers are in place to move our energy production towards renewable. And that specific law, if anybody's interested, is called the Climate Leadership and Community Protection Act. There's a requirement for for 70% renewable energy by 2030, and then 100% carbon-free electricity by 2040. So this isn't a huge time delay we're talking about here. That's not so far in the future. And moves are very much being made now to to reach those goals. So that's on the, the generation side you know on the transmission and distribution side actually getting the electricity to New York so that you know Con Edison our utility provider does their thing there's a lot happening there too and that's where the concern tends to come from in terms of the support can the grid support all this electrification right is there literally enough room capacity you know ways to get the energy here to actually satisfy that load and you know i think the the short answer is that we on the demand side meaning buildings meaning electric vehicles. We need to be smart about how we electrify. That's our job, right? Right. And that's the reduce, recycle, Mm -hmm. electrify. Mm -hmm. Get those loads down first. It's really, really important. It
0: has to happen on the commercial side first.
1: Uh, You mean like on the demand, like who's buying the
0: power? Yeah, like not in residential buildings first, right? Like, or is that going to be...
1: Well, they should too. I would say that, you know, it's going to be a little harder for them in many ways because they don't have the same resources necessarily as large commercial buildings do to like take on all this stuff. But eventually, every everybody should be following this approach. Oh, Oh, one hundred percent. Reduce, recycle, electrify. Yeah. Yeah, but
0: it's going to happen. I feel like more on the commercial building side first. Yeah, I and would. And that's yeah, going to be when you, when you talk about reduce, recycle, electrify, mm-hmm. it'll happen in those type of buildings first. You know, or like we were talking about it before. That's where we're we're going to see the new buildings. You know, coming up yep. already have the standard set and then we're going to go back and i'd imagine again we're going to start looking at the class a buildings mm-hmm. and making sure that all of them are you know reducing their carbon footprint yep. and then work down to the b to the d the c you know and again those those old pre-war buildings those are going to be tough and then when you look at like the yeah. multifamily buildings that's going to be a huge undertaking and like that is Absolutely. going to be last and then you know if but if you're looking at a residential uh like house like let's say on long island or something mm-hmm. you know there it's a little different and I want to get back to what we we're saying. I cut you off there. But like with a residential house, you know, people are putting solar on their roofs, yeah. which is great. Like, yep. you know, easy solution right there. But however, and I haven't done this, maybe Fred has, um, but uh, it's it's a very hard process. Or so. Do you know anything about that too? Like, and I don't want to get cut off. Yeah. But do you know yeah. about like the process of getting solar on roof and stuff like that?
1: Well, I'm not super well versed in the details of actually getting solar. I heard it's a real pain in the butt. Yeah, yeah, because you get a big tax break from that. Yes, absolutely. And that you know that we want to incentivize people to do that, so that you know that makes sense. But I, I have not put solar on my own roof because I'm in a historic district and I'm not allowed to. But I have uh, procured renewable electricity because we're in that deregulated market, and I can buy my power from whoever I want. So I, as a homeowner opted to buying renewable electricity and then I electrified my home sweet so you can do it without the pv although if you can get the the solar voltaics up there it's it's definitely better <laughs> yeah for sure and like the, yeah. obviously
0: there's an upfront cost but long term it's like yeah widely beneficial yeah um but anyways getting back to what we were saying before you know there's there's the system operators and yep. um yep you know there is how they're electrifying these buildings through uh reuse, recycle, and electrify? Is that what you said?
1: Reduce, recycle, electrify. Reduce, recycle, electrify.
0: Um, Yes, and that's happening. And then what's going on from there?
1: Yeah, so that's the demand side, meaning we're the users of the energy, right? So our job is to be smart about how we electrify. And then on the other side, the supply side, the generation side, the utility side, um, you know, I think to everybody's credit, you can see in the long-range plans from Con Edison and from other utilities that they're planning on investments to support this move towards renewable. Right. right.
0: There is a lot of money being invested, ton there Which is. is which is good. And again, we were talking about it. Yep. There's um, a lot of
1: money that's being invested. And you know, I think what people have to realize though is that there, you know, somebody does have to pay for it, right? right? These infrastructure upgrades are needed mm-hmm. in addition to being for the renewable, sustainability, environmentally, you know, beneficial side of things. We we have a pretty old system oh, in yeah. the US, Big right? Time. Like these investments in the Look grid at our are, railways are, just are insane. Yeah. And so, you know, we are gonna bear the cost of that in the short term but I think in the long term it'll certainly be worthwhile but to kind of come back to this idea of you know being smart on the building side on how you electrify if we keep our loads down right then the grid operators and the utilities they don't have to add more capacity necessarily or they don't have to build out as much as they were planning right and so that's what's going to help us manage the costs and i'm not sure that that link is always so clear to people that like we have a role to play in the affordability of future energy and right. the way that we help to to manage that is to use technology mm-hmm. the way that we were talking about before to be smart about electrification right and really to think about building performance in a in a new way which is beyond Energy use intensity and, and needs to have all those other things in it.
0: Right. Yeah, that's going to be really fascinating. And like considering how involved you are, because you know you mentioned non-profits. Obviously, your role as director of, of deep carbon reduction, and um, you know you're involved in a lot of, of a lot of projects, mm-hmm. ground up and stuff like that. Would you say the uh, like collaborative and collective vision as a whole is is singular? Like, do you, do people? Do people get it, you know, for the most part when you're, when you're bringing these presentations to the table? Obviously, there's yep. always going to be pushback. And one of the worst part about this whole thing is it has become politicized and, you know, for one reason or another. Mm-hmm. But however, I feel like for the most part, people have realized specifically too, from an in- infrastructure standpoint, like there needs to be some level of change and updating and stuff like that. Yep. I don't know if it's if it's possible to ever get away from like some level of carbon use. But with that said, the way that we're using energy can become much more efficient, you know, and like, yeah, and, and yeah. that's, um, and that's the big thing. Yeah. You know, I think there's a lot of ways to do it. Um, so do you, do you think people generally understand that and grasp that?
1: Yeah, I think so. I think, um, you know, at least in my experience, people want to do good, right? right. They, they, they want to do the they right thing help, right? for their yeah. occupants, for their business, for their families, right? For the communities in which they live. Truly they do. And so, uh, you know, I don't get a lot of pushback on the idea that we should decarbonize and that we should be smart about it, right? And try to minimize the cost impacts and, and minimize the environmental impacts of, of preparing for that, where the details and the questions and the decision making comes in is is, is around the very specific implementation yeah. details, right? And, right? and we all know, especially in New York City real estate, you know, existing conditions can be tough. You may have every intention and want to electrify an existing building, but it, it could just be really difficult with the existing conditions. There could be a lot of different circumstances that prevent you from getting all the way across the finish line. And so then I think our job or, you know, my job as a solution provider and as a consultant is to find the right solution that gets you close to where you want to be, you know, still within within the reasonable bounds of, of what you're able to do within right. those existing conditions. And so there's a lot of optimization and discussion and trying to figure out, okay, well, what is the most practical, most reasonable way to proceed, knowing that in a perfect world we would all love, right, to be fully electrified, carbon free, it'd be even better if it were cheap. Yeah. Um, but because that's not the reality of things, we have to be smart about what we do and how we do it.
0: And, and see, like my grand vision is like, you know, clean, cheap energy. Yeah. That would, that's ideal. And I think we can do it. I think we're, we're, we're heading in the right direction. You know, again, I think with us being like fully integrated into the digital age, I've already said this, I think with that, it's going to allow us to make large strides moving forward. And it's going to be fascinating. And I know we're running out of time, but we didn't even get into trucking um, and like that aspect of carbon reduction and where that's going to go. Yeah. So we'll save that for next time. That sounds good. <laughs> that sounds but
1: good. But I appreciate <laughs>
0: you coming on. Thanks so much, Molly. This was great. I'm looking forward to uh, you know obviously continuing to follow you and yeah, uh, you, you know seeing the great work you do. And, and thanks again for coming on.
1: Thanks for having me. This was great.
0: My pleasure. Thanks everybody for listening. Yeah. Talk soon.